Good morning to you all, joining us via live stream. My name is Chance Sumner. I serve as pastor here with Jesse Sternkey. Good morning to you. Jesse, you said that this is our sixth week. I, I thought it was the fifth. You're probably right. But it has been some time since we've gathered, and this is going on longer than I expected. But the Lord is still at work. I, I want us to have an encouraged tone and posture. I've heard from so many of you emailing me, letting me know how you're doing. And while we are struggling, while we are going through difficulty, the Lord is at work. The Lord is always at work. The Lord uses these difficulties for his good purposes. That is the way God works. And in Michael W. Smith's song, Waymaker, he says this, even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop you never stop working. That's true. That is true. The Lord is at work, and we have to keep going. We have to press on. We have to remember the Lord's promises, even though our circumstances might not be favorable. Well, this morning we're continuing our study in the models of ministry. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, turn with me to Philippians 2, verse 19. Last week, we covered Paul and the Philippians' example, their model of ministry. And this week, we're going to be focusing on Timothy. Now, what I want you to notice is that I am going to be covering a large section of Scripture. My passage this morning is Philippians 2, 19 through 24. That's five verses. Sometimes I spend one whole sermon on a single verse, and this week I'm spending a sermon on five verses. And my thinking here is that Paul, in this section, while he takes up a large amount of text, there's a number of verses that, that, he, that we'll be covering this morning, there's a central idea here, and it's not, it's not the verses that I want to cover, it's the ideas. So my model of preaching is, is less verse by verse, more idea by idea. So that's why I'm covering this large section this morning, is because Paul elaborates this one idea over this larger section of scripture. And that larger idea is Timothy as an example, as a model of ministry. What Paul does here in this passage is that he commends to the Philippians, Timothy as a minister of the gospel. Let's go ahead and read Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you also. Now, as I've said, this morning's sermon is part two of models of ministry. And the basic assumption that I'm using as we go through these passages, last week we explored Paul and the Philippians, this week Timothy, and next, in the next coming weeks we'll be exploring Epaphroditus. And my assumption, one of the basic assumptions that I have, is that ministry is something, is a calling that God places upon everyone's life. 
there are certain persons, specifically pastors, elders, and deacons who are called to a greater degree of ministry than other Christians. That is true. However, all of us have this calling upon our lives. Jesus never saves us for fruitlessness. He saves us to be fruitful. And one of the ways in which we express that fruit in this world is by spreading the love of Jesus Christ to others. We all have this calling upon our lives. From this passage, there's going to be two principles of of ministry that I want to pull out from here. The first one is this. Ministry involves a concern for others. Ministry involves a concern for others. I want you to see here, as we go through this point, I want you to see Paul's heart and Timothy's heart. This section is mainly dedicated to Timothy, although Paul does talk about himself. I want you to see Paul and Timothy's concern for the Philippians. Beginning in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now, Timothy is with Paul. Look in Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, the epistle starts, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Timothy does not write this letter. Paul has written this letter. However, Timothy is with Paul. Paul, if you remember, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. I do not believe that Timothy is with Paul in prison. However, I do believe that based upon 1.1 and based upon 2.19, we can, we can believe, we can assert that Timothy is alongside of Paul, not in prison, but he is in the general locale. I imagine that he probably is visiting Paul in prison. And whenever, whenever Paul says Paul and Timothy in 1.1, what he is saying, not that Timothy has written this letter alongside of him, but that Timothy is with him in ministry. That Timothy is accompanying him during his imprisonment, not as a co-prisoner, but as someone who visits with him. And Paul has this desire to send to the Philippians, to send Timothy to the Philippians. And I want you to notice in verse 19, why is it that Paul wants to send Timothy to the Philippians? So that I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul wants to be encouraged. And the encouragement that Paul wants to receive is that the Philippians are doing well. Over and over again in the book of Philippians, Paul expresses this deep concern for the Philippians. Look in 2.24. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul has this concern to be with the Philippians. He wants to accompany them, not just with a letter, but in his own presence. Now look with me, look with me in one twenty nine. We covered this last week. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul has this camaraderie with the Philippians. He wants to be with them just as they've been co-laboring in the gospel separate from one another. Paul has this concern to be with them he has a deep abiding concern 
for their both physical and spiritual well-being. And then Paul turns his attention to Timothy. Verse 20. Look what he says of Timothy. For I have no one like him, this him is Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now there's a very interesting exegetical biblical point here. Look very closely in verse 20. You see that verb concerned? The ESV reads concerned. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You see that? That verb is the same verb that occurs in 4.6. Turn with me to 4.6. Philippians 4.6. Paul gives this instruction to the Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. That verb in 4.6 is the same verb that Paul commends Timothy for having in 2.20. So in one passage in 2.20, Paul is saying he is praising Timothy for his concern. And then in 4.6, Paul says that we shouldn't be like this. We shouldn't be anxious. It's the same verb. In one place, Paul is commending this verb. He's saying that Timothy is doing what's right. He is engaged in being concerned for the Philippians. The verb here is meri manao, meri manao. So in 2.20, Paul is saying that Timothy is meri manao for the Philippians, for you, the Philippians. And then in 4.6, Paul says, do not be meri manao. So how do we understand this? This is a very, this demonstrates a very important applicational point. How is it that Paul can say, do not be anxious, and yet says of Timothy that he is anxious in a good way for the Philippians? I think the way we solve this puzzle is this. When we are anxious, when we are engaging in the behavior that Paul prohibits in Philippians 4.6, we have thoughts that consume us. We have negative thoughts that we are unable to escape from. A characteristic of anxiety is that we cannot escape our own thoughts. They consume us. There is an intensity that anxiety has. It grips us. So what Paul is saying in 4.6 is he is warning us against this type of anxiety that is sinful and that has this intensity where we can't escape it. Now in 2.20, what Paul is commending, the type of behavior that Paul is commending, is he is commending Timothy for having this intensity with reference, not to a concern for himself, but with a concern for others. There is an intensity here that is almost like anxiety. But Timothy here is not sinning. This is a good, genuine, deep concern that Timothy has. And the way we might describe it is that it is an intense desire. An intense desire to care for the Philippians. Now what prohibits us from having this characteristic? What prohibits us is the sin of selfishness. 
selfishness. Whenever we are selfish, we have this concern, not for others, but for ourselves. And in ministry, what God calls us to, God calls us to model what Timothy has here. An intense, soul-wrenching concern, not for oneself, but for one another. And what prevents us from doing this is the deep concern that we have for oneself, selfishness. And look what Paul says in verse uh, 2.21. Paul nails it on the head right here. For they all seek their own interests. So Paul here is contrasting Timothy's behavior with the general public's behavior. 2.21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That, That is true. People are selfish. And the exceptions are people who are selfless, who have a general and genuine concern for other people. And this highlights a central aspect of ministry. Selfishness, 221, seeking your own interests, selfishness is a ministry killer. If you want to live your life in an ineffective manner, if you want to make in this life zero impact for Jesus Christ, be selfish. That will hinder your ministry like no other sin. However, if you want to have a radical impact for Jesus Christ, if you want your life to matter, if you want to live a life of meaning, purpose, and fulfillment, we are to follow what Paul says of Timothy. We are to be Mary Manao for others, genuinely, deeply, heart-wrenchingly concerned for the needs of others. And in order to do that, in order to do that, the way that we have this type of concern is found in verse 21 at the end. I want you to notice here how Paul is contrasting Look very closely in verse 21, how Paul is contrasting the selfishness of people with those of Jesus Christ. So in verse 21, Paul mentions Timothy's concern for the Philippians. And then Paul mentions people's concerns for themselves. And then the opposite of being concerned for yourself, Paul does not mention being concerned for others. What does he mention? being concerned with the interests of Jesus Christ. There is symmetry here in the text. There is symmetry between the idea of of Timothy being concerned for the Philippians and Timothy being concerned for the interests of Jesus Christ. And the theological point is this. Love for God and love for one's neighbor are intimately related. Timothy's concern for the Philippians 
is also Timothy's concern for the interests of Jesus Christ. The greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second most important command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And those two go intimately, those are intimately connected. You cannot love people unless you love Jesus Christ. And if you love Jesus Christ, you will love people. It's that simple. And in your life, if you have ongoing conflict with people, if you harbor bitterness, if you harbor unforgiveness, if you harbor deep-seated feelings of selfishness and self-interest, the reason why you do is because you do not love Christ. And the antidote is very simple. The way we have, the way we attain this deep desire for other people in ministry, the way we become marked just as Timothy was with this 220, genuine concern for the welfare of others, the way we attain that is by loving Christ more. What hinders us in our love for others, what promotes selfishness is not loving Jesus Christ. In your marriages, in your families, in your workplace, if there's ongoing conflict and you are the cause, it's because the reason why that conflict persists is because you do not love Jesus. And so the answer is to love Jesus more. The answer is as simple as that. And my desire for you specifically, what it is that I'd want you to do, is to ask the Father to produce this love for Jesus Christ in you. It requires a heart change. It requires God by his spirit to touch the deepest part of your heart. Ask the Lord to bring that about in you. And you cannot have an effective life, you cannot have an effective ministry here in this world by being selfish. There must be this genuine, deep concern in your soul for others. The second point. First point, ministry involves a concern for others. Second point, ministry involves perseverance. Ministry involves perseverance. I get this point from 22. Paul says this of Timothy. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. My whole point is built upon the noun here in verse 22. Whenever it says, in the ESV, it says proven worth. If you have a different translation, yours yours might say proven character, proved himself, proof of him, qualification. It's a single noun here. And the noun means this, write this down. The experience of going through a test with special reference to the result of that test. I'll repeat that again. The experience of going through a test with special reference 
to the result of that test. That definition is the meaning of the noun here of Paul's, excuse me, of Timothy's proven worth. What Paul is saying of Timothy is that Timothy, his character, has been tried through trials. Timothy has experienced difficulty in his life and ministry. And Timothy has been found to be faithful through the difficulty. That's what Paul is saying here. Timothy has this proven character. Both the Philippians and Paul, they know Timothy well. And the demonstration of Timothy's life is one of faithfulness through trial. And this highlights an important point of ministry. Ministry, dear friend, is hard. To be selfless, to proclaim the name of Jesus, is hard. And as we go through ministry, if you commit your life to ministry, you will experience trials. There are a multitude of trials. One that is uniquely hard, I think, is thanklessness. To pour out your life for others, to pray for others, to bless other people with gifts, with attention, with a a whole host of blessings, and for that person to never recognize or acknowledge what it is that you've done for them and maybe even to treat you poorly in return. You pour out your life for someone, you pour out your energies for someone, you lay down your life for someone, and those efforts for them are never acknowledged, are never thanked for, and also they might treat you badly in return. Thanklessness, this is very difficult. But what it is that the Lord calls us to, dear friend, is to perseverance. We are, going through a diff- <clears throat> we are going through a difficult time. And the Lord calls us to continue walking through it. The Lord has great and tremendous purposes for us in trials, in general trials and in trials in ministry. And what it is that the Lord wants in us, more than anything, more than your comfort, more than ease, is a battle-tested faith. The Lord wants to say of you what Paul says of Timothy. What the Lord wants in your life is a battle-tested faith, a faith that is found to be worth more than gold. 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, thanklessness, COVID, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. To put that all together, 
It grieves those who Peter is writing to. These trials are grievous. Experiencing thanklessness is hard. What we're going through is difficult. But because of the grace of God in the life of the believer, what these trials result in is a tested genuineness of your faith. And what is the worth of this faith? It is more precious than gold. And that what is the ultimate result of it? It is found to be to the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, what we will hold up to him, hopefully, is a battle-tested faith, a proven character. Whenever you're going through, before you go through a trial, your faith might say, oh, you know what, Lord, I'll persevere. I'll persevere. But you know what? Trials make us prove that. And that proving of faithfulness, that perseverance through thanklessness and difficulty is exactly what the Lord wants. And the way we attain this, the way we have this battle-tested faith, dear friend, the way we obey and follow after Timothy's example here, his model, is we need a change of mindset. At the end of verse 22, Paul says, how as a son with a father, he, Timothy, has served with me in the gospel. I want you to pay close attention to this verb, served. Go to Philippians 1.1, again. Philippians 1.1. Paul introduces himself and Timothy like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, if you have an ESV, you will notice that there is a little number above the word servants. And if you look down at the bottom... The ESV says, this footnote, for the contextual rendering of the Greek word doulos, see preface. Now, doulos is a very important word. We've covered it a number of times. Doulos does not mean servant. It means slave. Now, the reason why they translate it as servant is due to the connotations that being a slave has in our context. In the post-Civil War era in America, being a slave is, can be a very controversial idea. But what Paul is saying here is that he, in 1-1, he is not, him and Timothy are not just servants. A servant has the opportunity and the freedom to go home at night and to not be a servant all the time. However, a slave, a slave is someone whose whole life there is lordship over, that this slave has no freedom. And that noun, doulos, is turned into a verb in 2.22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has doulosed with me in the gospel. Served here is not strong enough. This word, this verb for served, is actually the Greek word doulos, turned into a verb. 
Paul is saying that Timothy has enslaved himself to the gospel. He has not just served with Paul in the gospel, he has enslaved himself to it. Now this slave mentality goes beyond a servant mentality. The Bible says that Christians are slaves of Jesus Christ, that we have been bought. That language of purchased and bought refers to a slave market. We were slaves to our sin. But what Jesus has done is he has purchased us with his blood. It took his very own life to purchase us. And now we have a Lord. Lords have subjects and slaves. And that is what we are. And Timothy has rightfully fulfilled this obligation of being a doulos in the gospel. Paul, excuse me, Timothy has been faithful to execute on his doulos role. He has been faithful as a slave of Jesus Christ. And the key here, dear friend, for us, the way that we inculcate and develop this notion of perseverance is through having a change mentality. Going from a mindset of ministry is about us and ministry sometimes entails what we, what we get out of it and going to ministry is completely and totally about the Lord and other people. While there are tremendous blessings in this life and in the next life for faithful service to Jesus Christ, ultimately the reason why we obey is because our Lord commands it. And in that mindset, thanklessness doesn't matter. It ultimately doesn't matter whether or not I'm recognized for my sacrifice for others. It doesn't matter. While I desire that, and that is an okay desire, I'm still going to press on even if my gifts are never recognized, even if I'm maligned. That's what that mindset does. John MacArthur, one of my favorite preachers, on his 50th anniversary of being a pastor at Grace Church, Grace Community Church in California, he was asked this question. I might have mentioned this before, I'm not sure, but it's very fitting here. The interviewer asked MacArthur, much has been written about pastoral burnout, and at least some of it seems linked to wrong expectations and disappointment. How can a young minister overcome this challenge? Fitting question. This is what MacArthur said. The idea that you're going to leave the ministry out of disappointment is a failure to understand that it was never about you. It was a service to which you were called. The idea that you're going to leave the ministry out of disappointment is a failure to understand that it was never about you. 
It was a service to which you were called. Perseverance through difficulty, through trials, has to start and end with a changed mindset. And that mindset is exemplified in Timothy. Timothy was found to be faithful. He had this battle-tested faith. He endured through difficulty. And the way he did was that he served alongside Paul in the gospel. He do lost himself in the gospel. Dear friends, we have to realize, as Paul alludes to here through Timothy's example, and as MacArthur illustrates as well, life in general and ministry specifically is not about us. My ministry to you, my ministry to this church, is ultimately not about what I get out of it. Your ministry to me, your ministry to this church, is ultimately not about what you get out of it. We want to create a culture here that thanklessness does not occur. We want to create a culture of encouragement and praise and love. Those are the attributes we want here. And I am actively pursuing that for this church. And I pray the same, you can say the same, for me and for this church. But dear friend, you're going to minister, even in healthy churches, you're going to minister whenever you're going to experience difficulties and trials in ministry. You're going to pour out your heart for others and that love and affection is not going to be returned. Whether it's in the church, whether it's outside the church. And as we experience these hurdles, we must have this mindset of, it's not about me. It is about what the Lord has done for me and his commandments upon my life. And dear friend, as we continue through this pandemic, we have to remember that. We have to remember that the Lord wants in us a battle-tested faith worth more than gold, more precious than silver refined by fire. And the way we do this is we remember that it is that we are slaves and we are simply doing what it is the Lord has called us to. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for Paul's example. We thank you for Timothy's example. We thank you for the Philippians' example, Lord, and we thank you for Epaphroditus' example, who we will begin studying next week. Father, ministry is hard. And ministry is hard because, Father, we are prone towards selfishness. We are prone towards making life about ourselves. Father, we pray that you would produce in us a greater and deeper love for Jesus Christ. That is the answer to all the problems that we have with other people, is we do not love Christ enough. Father, forgive us of our sins. Produce in us by your spirit a love, a deep abiding love for Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, as a, as a consequence of that, Lord, produce in us a love for other people. And Lord, we pray that we would persevere through the trials and difficulties of life and of ministry. Persevere through thanklessness, through rejection, through persecution. Father, and I pray that you would impress upon our minds that we are due loss, 
We are slaves. And we are simply obeying what it is that you've told us to do. You are worthy of that obedience, Jesus. Of that obedience, Jesus. You are worthy of it. You've purchased us with your blood and we owe you our lives. Father, thank you for your goodness. By the Spirit, apply these truths to our, to our lives. In Christ's name, amen.